0: Hello, and welcome to As We Wait, an in depth verse by verse study of the entire Bible led by pastor and teacher Mike Scanlon of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California. Let's join Mike as he focuses on chapter 10 in our study of the New Testament Gospel of John. We have a few moments before we begin, so let's get our Bibles and notebooks and prepare our hearts and minds to receive the Word of the Lord.
1: We're going to read from verse 1 through verse 30, and then we'll pick it up in our study in verse 19. But if you'd open up your Bibles to John chapter 10, and then once you get there, if you would stand with me in reverence for God's Word, then we'll read it together. John chapter 10, beginning now at verse 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way. The same is a thief and a robber, but he that entereth in, by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of the strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Uh, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enters in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming, and leaves the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is a hireling, and cares not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knows me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold." Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore does my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and have the power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. There was a division, therefore, again among the Jews for these things. And many of them said, He has a devil and is mad. Why do you hear him? Others said, These are not the words of him that has a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? And it was at Jerusalem in the feast of dedication, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt if thou be the Christ? Tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you believe not. Because you're not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Gracious Father, once again we thank you for your word. And we ask, Lord, that by your Spirit you would teach us, that you would instruct us, that you would help us, Lord, to hear your voice tonight. So guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You guys can be seated. We pick it up tonight in verse 19, and there it says, There was a division, therefore, again, among the Jews for these sayings. Two key words, there was a division, and then therefore, again. It's kind of interesting, again. Back in John chapter 7, verse 43, So there was a division among the people because of him. And then again in John chapter 9, verse 16, Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. Jesus is a divisive figure. He's a divisive subject. Jesus tells us, in fact, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, Do not think that I am come to bring peace on earth. Do not come to bring peace, but a sword. Some have rightly said that not all unity is holy, And that not all division is from hell. There are times when God's Word very clearly separates the the sheep from the goats. And Jesus is just that kind of a a character, if you will, or that kind of a personality. The Word of God has stirred them up, got them thinking, got them searching, and now they're trying to figure it out. It's interesting, Jesus is is always a divisive person, a divisive subject. Uh, You can pray in the name of Allah at a public school. You can invoke Confucius or Buddha or even Satan and be accepted. But to pray publicly in the name of Jesus seemingly starts a fight with everybody else. And why so? Because Jesus brings us to a place where we have to choose. He brings us to a place where we have to make a choice. Joshua says in in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, And if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, which your fathers served, that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. Jesus had previously said that he was the door to the sheepfold. And so you're either on one side of that door or the other. Trying to be in the middle only gets you into a jam. Did you guys get it? Never mind. All right. All right. Uh, In Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me. There is no middle ground with Jesus. You're either with him or you're against him. These men are faced with this miracle, you know, a man who was blind from birth has not received his sight, and they know that Jesus is responsible for that, and they can't explain it the way they want to. The facts don't match what they believe. And it's just those kinds of things that would actually draw people to Jesus. In John chapter 3, the first couple of verses, we've got the Pharisee Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and it says in verse 2, The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. They see that Jesus doesn't come from their seminaries, if you will, from the the rabbinical schools. They see that Jesus is not, you know, acknowledged, if you will, as a Pharisee or a Sadducee or a quote-unquote religious leader per se. Yet he's doing all these awesome things that only God could do. And he's speaking the word of God with authority. You know, so often we're in the same place as those Pharisees that day of being challenged by the word of God. Sometimes the word of God will contradict our understanding or our assumptions about the issues in our own lives. And we have to kind of come to a place in our life where we allow the Word of God to be authoritative for us. You know, if the Word of God is to be authoritative in our lives, then it's always right. And if there's a conflict, then we're the ones that are automatically wrong. The Word of God is always correct. Some of them are considering what the blind man said, that Jesus was a prophet. They know that these are the works of God, and they're trying to reconcile the works to the words, trying to reason it through. And I believe that's what God intended for us to do. God intends for us to think this through a little bit and to consider carefully. That's why we're told in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, saith to the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they should be as wool. In verse 22, says, and it was at Jerusalem, the Feast of the Dedication, and it was winter. So we kind of have a, a timestamp stamp on these events. Bear in mind that all this started out when the, the man that was born blind. He was healed adjacent to or close to the, the Feast of Tabernacles, which takes place in October. Now we're at the Feast of Dedication, and so it's about two and a half months later, and people are still talking about what had taken place and who Jesus was. They were still having this debate and this division a couple months after the event, which is kind of cool. That shouldn't surprise us too much, though, because here we are a couple thousand years later still talking about the same things. The Feast of Dedication is also called the Feast of Lights, which is known today as Hanukkah. And that uh, lasts eight days and it ends on December 25th. Uh, Hanukkah, the feast, uh, was not from the Mosaic light It can be celebrated basically anywhere. And it's that feast commemorating the rededication of the temple after Antiochus Epiphanes had profaned it in 165 B.C. In fact, Judas Maccabeus Uh, Led what became known as the Maccabean Revolt, which drove the Syrians out of Israel. And then, after the victory was gained, they cleansed and rededicated the temple, uh, which was thereafter celebrated in the Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah, which is actually celebrated on December 25th. The word Hanukkah means consecration. It says here that it was winter, not just uh, on the calendar, but spiritually as well. You know, in Jeremiah chapter 8, uh, verse 20, the prophet writes, The harvest is past, the summer is ended and we are not saved. You know, it's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. We're coming up to the point where the friction or the the animosity against Jesus by the religious establishment is growing. Uh, We'll see repeated attempts at them trying to basically stone or kill Jesus. And it's just a few months away when we get to the springtime, to Passover season, when Jesus will actually be crucified. Verse 23, And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. And so we've got when it happened, and now we've pretty much got where it happened. Solomon's Porch was a large covered colonnade area where later uh, in the book of Acts, Peter uh, would be used to heal a lame man where Ananias and Sapphira would die. Uh, Now you can go there, and Solomon's Porch is just an outside area adjacent to the ruins, basically, of the Temple Mount. And it's kind of cool because when I went there with uh, Pastor Chuck, we sat on the steps leading up to Solomon's Porch and had a great Bible study. And so you can go there and and see what's left of it uh, even to this day. In verse 24, then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. And so the Jews, the religious people, understand that Jesus hasn't come out and said plainly, in their minds anyway, that he's the Messiah, but so many people are following him, so many people are proclaiming him to be a prophet or the prophet, and all these different things, and they're they're getting to the point where they really want to deal with him, And if they can get him to say that he is the Messiah, then they'll accuse him of blasphemy, and then they'll stone him to death. And so their question really is a precursor to uh, trying to kill him. So the Jews surround him. They pose the question, again, as a pretext for stoning him. And then kind of have to think, you know, how many times Jesus has already stated in different ways that he is the, quote-unquote, the Son of God, the Messiah. And interesting that Jesus doesn't just say that he's the Son of God or imply that. You know, he doesn't make an empty claim. He provides the proof to back it up. And that proof is in the form of the different miracles that he's already performed. The healing of the blind guy just being one of many. In verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and you believed not, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. So he's saying that they've already been told. And that's true. Back in John chapter 5, verse 17 but Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but he would also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. It's kind of like, you know, you see these guys kind of getting chinked chested and one of them will poke each other, oh yeah, do it again, oh yeah, do it again. It's like, how many times you got to do it for the fight's on? And basically they're saying, tell us one more time, are you the Messiah or not? And Jesus says, hey, I've already told you. In fact, then he goes on to say, and the works that I do bear witness of me. I'll go back to what Nicodemus said there in John chapter 3, verse 2. You know, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. It's kind of interesting because it's kind of the same for us as well. You know, our actions help define who we are. You know, we can say to people that we're Christians, we can say that we're followers of Jesus, but it's our actions that corroborate that or not. It's our actions, our lives, that validate that or not. James tells us in James chapter 2, verse 17, Even so faith, if it has not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. In other words, my actions define who I am. Later on in John chapter 14, uh, verse 8, Philip saith unto him, speaking to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it would be sufficient for us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me. He does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else... Believe me, for the very work's sake. It's kind of interesting that even though Jesus was challenged by the religious people, his own disciples kind of asked him the same basic question. Can you show us one more time? In Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, it describes this event where Jesus is in a house, he's ministering, and these four guys bring their paralytic buddy, who's paralyzed, to see Jesus because they want him to get healed. And they can't get into the house. It's too packed. It's too crowded all around. And so at one point, they climb up on the roof. And they start kind of digging through the roof and breaking the roof apart. And they lower this paralyzed guy down through the roof right in front of Jesus and the people that he's talking to. And as this guy is lowered down into the midst of the gathering, if you will, Jesus at one point looks at this paralyzed guy and basically said, Son, your sins are forgiven you. It's interesting. These four guys take... They're buddy to Jesus because they want his body to be healed so they he can live his life. And Jesus doesn't just automatically heal the guy. He says, your sins are forgiven you. And there were some Pharisees there. And it says in their hearts, they reasoned in themselves, this man blasphemes. Because nobody can forgive sins except God. Then Jesus declares what they were thinking. Okay, He says, I know your thoughts. And so that you know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sin, he turns to the paralytic guy and says, get up, take your bed, and go home. He heals the guy in front of him. So that they would understand that he's got the power to forgive sins, that he is actually God. He turns and says, grab your stuff and go. And the guy gets up and he leaves. Now, we don't have the reaction of the religious people laid out in great detail, but what could they possibly have been thinking? I mean... When Jesus says, I'm going to do this just so that you know that I have the authority to do the first thing I did. And the guy gets up and leaves. To me, that's irrefutable, irrefutable proof. And Jesus, over and over again, demonstrates that he is the Son of God. Back in, in John chapter 5, verse 36, this said, I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Jesus is always doing the things that the Father sent him to do. And then he says, you don't believe what I say, so take a good look at what I do. And it's that kind of silent witness. It's that kind of, his actions speak louder than words. In verse 26, it says, but you believe not because you're not of my sheep, as I said unto you. Man, you know what? When I read this line, when I read this particular scripture, you're not my sheep is what Jesus is saying. None of us ever want to hear that. Okay, none of us want to hear those words from Jesus. You're not mine. Go away from me. These guys were hearing those words from Jesus. They didn't care, but they didn't understand the implication of it. In John chapter 8, verse 47, we read, He that is of God hears God's words. You therefore hear them not, because you're not of God. It's kind of like I've described before that Jesus test. When you're talking with people that claim to know the Lord, and you mentioned uh, the Bible, you mentioned Jesus, you start talking about the Lord, and you just look to see how they react. Sometimes when you talk about Jesus or you talk about your Bible study, people's eyes roll up in the back of their head and they just fall back and they're gone. Or they start talking about how the Lakers are doing or how the Kings are doing or whatever, and they change the subject and move on. But someone that loves the Lord, someone that loves His Word, that's connected with Jesus, when you mention Jesus, they light up. When you mention the Word of God and prayer and spiritual things, they dig in. But people that don't have an interest in those things move on very quickly. And Jesus is basically saying, you don't hear because you're not one of mine. There's always those debates about who is and who isn't saved. I mean, even amongst Christians at times. And how they get saved. In Acts chapter 13, verse 48, we read, And when the Gentiles heard this, this is part of uh, testimony here, they were glad and glorified the, the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Now, when we get into the area of predestination versus choice, when we talk about the sovereignty of God and the free will of men, we come to that place where our limited intellect and our ability to understand is up against the infinite mind and capabilities of God. If you're the smartest guy on the planet, you're still limited compared to God. And I don't know about you guys, I don't feel like a rocket scientist. I approach some of the things of God and just go, Lord, you're too big, you're too much to fathom. I can't get it all. I'm so grateful that he puts the cookies in the bottom drawer. He lowers himself to my level so that we can understand just even a little bit about him. Paul writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who was first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We're never going to understand everything about God. I mean, maybe that's what heaven will be like, that we'll spend eternity just learning more and more and more about God. But right here on this earth, we're limited in our ability to understand. We won't completely understand these things. We've become close on this side of heaven, I don't think. And because of that, we shouldn't be too dogmatic. We shouldn't dig in our heels too hard on these issues when it comes to the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. The Bible clearly teaches, as in John chapter 3, verse 16, you know, for God to so love the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God to so love the world. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, here we read the words of Jesus, Come and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. What I like about these verses is that they're inclusive. The plain reading of these scriptures is, Don't state or imply any limitations. Basically, all may partake. But at the same time, it's kind of funny, because at the same time, there are those that are His, and there are those that are not. And God knows who is and who isn't. He knows the choice that we're going to make ahead of time. The Bible teaches the sovereignty of God, divine election, if you will, and predestination. But the Bible also teaches the free moral agency of man and his ability to choose. And again, we're not going to reconcile these things On the side of heaven. In second Peter chapter three, verse nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, again, how do we reconcile all this? And the answer is we don't. We won't, we can't. Uh, People are going to argue about this till the end, so we may as well just not argue about it, I guess is the bottom line. You know when you think about this I think sometimes we wax too philosophical about it. I mean, people argue about this in the abstract, and what about this, and that other thing. And it's like those arguments about, what about the aborigine in the jungles of Australia, hearing the word of God or not? And I always take that kind of a question, turn it around, and say, well, what about you? I mean, we can talk about the guys out in the jungles that we don't even know. We're never going to know. But what about you personally? Are you saved? Have you heard the gospel? Have you responded to the word of God? Have you responded to what the Holy Spirit's working in your heart, in your life? And all I can tell you is that I'm glad that I know. I'm glad that I'm following him. I'm glad for those of you that I know, that I know that you love him, that you're walking with him. That's a big deal. All these arguments about Calvinism and Arminianism and Reformed and back and forth as it goes, it really doesn't matter a whole lot when you think about it. I mean, the lost sinner who hears God's word and doesn't know anything about divine election and the sovereignty of God and all those kinds of things. He hears that Christ died for his sins and that he can receive the gift of eternal life. And he goes, yeah, that's what I want. That's what I need. All those other arguments come somewhere down the road when we think it out too much. When we trust in Jesus, we become a member of God's family. We're grafted in to that heavenly fold. And who cares you know, about those theological arguments? I mean, it really doesn't matter much. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says that we're chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And I like the fact that we're chosen. It's a good thing. But in verse 27, and I love this verse, it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. That's important. How do you know? How do you know that the sheep heard? And the answer is right there, and they follow me. They respond to the voice that they hear. They respond to the Word of God, and they follow Jesus. Their actions indicate that they heard. And it's also very important. You know, it says, my sheep hear my voice, and what? And I know them. It's very important that Jesus knows us. I mean, we talk about us knowing Jesus, us having a personal relationship with him. Well, that's impossible to have unless it's a two-way relationship. I know him, and he knows me. That's called a relationship. I can know him, and if he didn't know me, we would not have a relationship. Okay, it would just be kind of weird. Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and forward, about those that will say one day, those that are kind of rejected, if you will, from heaven, Lord, Lord, didn't I do good things in your name? Didn't I prophesy? Didn't I do good deeds? And they'll list all the things that they did in the name of the Lord. And at one point, Jesus will turn to them and say, you know, depart from me, I never knew you. What a bad time it is to figure out that you didn't really have a relationship with him. What a horrible feeling it must say be when he says, I never knew you. We have to be known of Jesus. I like in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, when Abraham is encounters these three travelers, and basically the angel of the Lord and a couple of his angels on their way basically to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And at one point, the angel of the Lord kind of Musing, it seems like, says, You know, should I tell Abraham what's about to happen? And then speaking to Abraham, he says, Well, for I know him, and he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord and do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And to me, this is kind of cool because at that point, the angel of the Lord recognizes that he knows Abraham, he knows what Abraham is going to do, that he's going to have a godly heritage. And again, we get down to actions. Our actions determine whether we hear or not. If I tell my kids, hey, Caleb or Nick, would you take the trash out? One of the ways that I understand whether they respond to me verbally or not, that they heard me, is that when they walk over and grab the trash can and walk out of the house and dump the trash, they heard me. And it's the same thing for us. You know, Jesus describes in John chapter 14, verse 21, he that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. He's the one that hears my word and responds to it. In John chapter 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments.
0: I'm here to find you. Reveal yourself. Well, that's all the time we have for now. You've just been listening to Mike Scanlon of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California, expounded upon chapter 10 in the Gospel of John. Please join us again next time as we continue our study through the book of John and the entire Bible. As We Wait is an outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California. We pray that you have been blessed and would like to invite you to join us in person. We meet at 450 Richmond Road, Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30, Wednesday evenings at 7, and communion is celebrated the first Sunday of each month at 6 p.m. To get the entire study on CD, you can call the church office at 530-257-4833. Or write to us at P.O. Box 1316, Susanville, California, 96130. For more information or to stream all of our broadcasts, you can go to www.ccsusanville.com. Until we meet again, may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus be upon you.